I had a chance, to, I, I was a volunteer firefighter and an EMT, that's the truth, and I had a chance to go to the uh, National Fire Academy back in the day, and uh, took a class in uh, public fire safety education, and uh, learned some things about education in general, actually. Um, what's, the, what's the standard thing we tell children if they find themselves on fire in some way? And why do we tell them, oh man, boy, somebody's really been doing their fire safety education, <laughs> man. Why do we tell them stop, drop, and roll? It's not natural. That's right. The natural thing is going all crazy, and the natural thing is the wrong thing. The effective thing, the safe thing, the best thing is to stop, drop, and roll. I want to talk to you about the righteous way to handle anger today, and we're going to start in James chapter 1, and the very most important thing you can remember today is to stop whatever your natural response is. Now, maybe if you've been in the Lord a long time, you have developed a righteous habit, and so what you might consider your natural response is a good response, and praise the Lord for that. But our natural fleshly response, the response that our society teaches us, are not the right responses. Um, A key verse, as we're thinking about anger, is Ephesians 4.26, Be angry, but do not sin. And so James uh, gives us uh, some ideas about how to accomplish that. James 1, 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that's, that's about as close as we'll get in the New Testament to stop. Stop. When you're angry, stop. The question you need to ask about an anger situation is, am I responding or am I reacting? Reacting is natural. Responding is chosen. And if God says in Ephesians 4.26 that you can be angry but not sin, that means it's possible to not sin, But that's not going to happen automatically. It's going to happen as you choose how to respond. And I think this is is so important if you've never considered it. Anger or any emotion is not autonomous. Well, I just get angry and that's just what happens. That's an accurate description of the facts but it's not an accurate diagnosis of why it happened. I don't know if I put all of these words or a few of them in your uh, book there. Event, response. should have this memorized. Reflection. Behavior. feeling. One of the problems that we have as Christians is not understanding the difference between habit and autonomous. 
Autonomous means truly you cannot control it. If you cannot control your anger, why would God say to control it? Why did he say be angry but don't sin if that's impossible? And see, we treat emotions as autonomous things in our life. Anger is just there. It's just on its own. Now, the, 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 the perception of an, of an angry feeling comes up, but where it goes from there is a matter of our choice, of our habit, of our practice. Event, response, reflection, behavior, feeling. Um, one of my favorite things to, to think about here is snakes. How many of you like snakes? Okay, raise your hand high so everybody can see. Okay, um, if, if somebody other than me, because I wouldn't do it, were to bring a snake into the room, how many of you that just raised your hand would say, oh yeah, I'd like to handle the snake? Okay. And how many of you say, I'd like to step on its head? <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with the snake, okay? Is the snake the problem? <laughs> okay? Now, I could also do that with dogs, because some people, most people, all of the normal people, love dogs. But some people, they don't like dogs that much. Maybe they had a bad experience with a dog. Oh, wait a minute. Are you telling me your history with something affects the way you respond to circumstances? Are you telling me that your uniqueness, remember that first D, differences, your uniqueness, somehow snakes aren't on your list as a person? Okay, the event, the snake, the thing that happens is not what causes your response. Your response is caused by everything in your life. Uh, and when I say education, I mean just everything you've learned throughout your life. You know, uh, maybe, maybe your mama said, snakes are terrible, don't touch the snakes, and, and they'll give you germs or whatever. And so you grow up going, ooh, you know, and, and somebody else said, aren't snakes cool? Didn't God create a wonderful thing? And they grew up thinking, oh, wow, this is really cool, you know. And it, it's not the thing, it's how we respond. And all of the stuff of your life factors into this. Including what you observed, what you learned by observation. And what I'm talking about when it comes to anger, I'm talking about how your parents were angry. What did they do when they were angry? You learned some things from that. Maybe you went the opposite direction. Maybe you followed in their path. But the, the reality for the Christian is things happen, and I have to choose how I'm going to respond. Something makes me feel angry. I have to stop. I have to be slow. I have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, I have to now go on beyond that stopping, that controlling, and consider it. Letter B in your notes there. I have to consider it. Uh, Matthew 5, 27, Jesus said, You have heard you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause 
shall be in danger of judgment. So clearly, Jesus there is making a difference between genuine situations that that are righteously anger-inducing and other situations that are not. And so my, my second step, my second step after I stop and control my response is to consider it, to think about it, to analyze it. What's going on here? Was there sin? Did they attack me on purpose? Is this reality or perception? The challenge with anger is that we can get very angry over something that is real, and we can get very angry over something that is perceived. Years ago, uh, a man wrote me a very angry letter, and I thought, where is this coming from? And so I called him up and I said, brother, let's get together and talk about this. So we did. And he had been angry with me for a year and had been stewing on his anger for a year because of one thing. When I would see him on Sunday morning, I didn't always say, good morning, brother, so-and-so, and and then give his name. I would say, hey, how you doing? I'm not great with first names. I could probably tell you facts about your life and then not know your name because somehow that stuff sticks in my head and names don't. I have to work at that. But this brother took the fact that I didn't always say his name to mean that I was purposefully disrespecting him. And I said, brother, that's not true at all. And and I never meant to, you know, first of all, I don't do that. I just don't. It's just not the way, if there's a problem, we'll talk about it, um, you know, but I just don't do that. But secondly, that's just not what I intended at all. And he, and it was just like, oh, okay. Now, he invested himself in anger for a year because of a very simple thing. He did not check out what was going on. And when you get to this stage of reflection and the stage of analyzing, you've got to be a man enough or a woman enough to come and say, um, uh, you know, ask some questions. Is this what's, you know, and, and, and let me put it to you this way. I think this is a, a, very, a very wise way to do it. You go to the person that has, that has been a problem, that, that caused this anger, and say, you did this, and it made me feel like this. You can't judge what's in their heart. You can't judge what's in their mind. He judged what was in my mind without asking me what was in my mind. Okay? You can't do that. You can't do that with your husband or wife. You can't do it with your children. I know why you're doing that. No, you don't. Not unless you've asked. And I understand people can lie, and that's between them and God. But we have to check things out. And then letter C, we have to commit it to God. Now, letter C is committed to God. Letter D is consistently live for God. And I would offer these to you as a negative and a positive. And what I mean is there's one thing not to do and one thing to do. And from Romans 12, and I'm, I'm not taking time to turn to these passages. Are, are the passages written in the notes? Yes. So you can do that later. Um, in Romans 12, it says this, Do not avenge yourself. 
But give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the little phrase, give place to wrath, probably should be translated this way. Give place to the wrath. And it's talking about the wrath of God. In other words, if you've been wronged, there is a natural inclination, which is, I'm going to even the score here. And God says, don't do that. Give place to God's wrath. And so the question I have to ask is, would it be better for me to pay them back or for God to pay them back? (laughs) Who would I rather do the payback? Now, the problem is my payback is immediate, and sometimes God's payback is is delayed. Maybe I don't even get to see it. Maybe it won't even be till eternity. Okay, And so I just have to, by faith, say, you know, God, your way is best. And, of course, part of the reason God's way is best is maybe the payback isn't what should be happening. But that's committing it to God. It's saying, okay, God, a wrong has been done to me. I'm putting it in your hands, and I'm stepping back. And then when it comes to consistently living for God, it's the positive thing. Okay, I've put it in God's hands. Now what do I do? What I do is I live righteously. I keep choosing righteous behavior. I I think I said this yesterday. Is it ever right in God's New Testament for us to go and chew somebody out? No, that's not right. Words that edify, not words that tear down. Is it ever right for us to plot somebody's physical injury? <laughs> uh, they, I was just holding the knife and they just ran into it, you know. Okay. Now, us adults don't normally do that. That's a, more of a temptation, for, especially for small children. Smack. Give you one of those. How do you like that now? Okay. Um, all of those things that we're tempted to do, we have to not do. And instead of that, we do righteously. Do you want to know how to do what to, what to do righteously when somebody makes you angry? This is real easy. In fact, we ought to just take a minute and turn to it. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 tells you exactly what to do when you, when you are injured by another person. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, I don't have any enemies. Well, put the word unfriend in there. Or whatever word you want to put. You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This will help you. This might help you to remember what to do. Say good, pray good, do good. Let's say it together. Say good, pray good, do good. That's what he says. Um, Bless, that's to say good, those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And... uh, uh, be the sons of your... Oh, where's the, where's the do good? I'm missing it. Love your enemies. Bless. Yeah. For he makes the sun to rise. And, and God's standard, of course, is perfection. Say good, pray good, do good. So you think, oh, you mean somebody did me wrong and I'm supposed to say something nice? Ouch. And when you 
get that perfected, you can move on to step two. <laughs> but, but you see, God has told us what to do. Here's an event. I'm thinking about it, and I'm, and I'm realizing, hey, I really was wrong. Now, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to say good, pray good, do good. That's supposed to be my behavior. Now, if you honestly pray for this person who has wronged you, how are you going to be feeling? What's that? Relief? Yeah, there could be all kinds of things. But if you really, I mean, are are you honestly going to go into the presence of God, seething mad, ready to put down retribution on this person and boy just you and God are just going to have this angry conversation and and you're going to walk away going yeah is that what's going to happen I think if you really get into the presence of God and really think about this person and you and what's been going on it's going to change you and 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 th- when when I talk about praying good and when God said talks about you know praying for them a big part of it is praying for their righteousness if they really wronged you, they need to change. And possibly you need to change too. Um, consistently live for God. Letter E, if you need to, confess it. First John 1 John 1.9, if, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. If we need to confess, then we ought to confess. If we need to confess some part of this thing that's happened, we need to confess that part. And in confessing it, I'm also talking about making it right with the other person. Letter F, cover it. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Jack Moyer reminded me of a, of a memory the other day from years ago at camp before there was blacktop here. Um, you, you know how it is when you walk around the camp, even right down here where they did some digging, how the dirt is real powdery. The dirt seems to be that way here. Before there was blacktop, that powdery stuff was everywhere. And he said when they ring the bell for chapel and all the kids would come this way, there would be this cloud of dust (laughs) stirring up the dust. Hatred stirs up strife. The more you hang on, the more you're angry, the more you're thinking about things, you're stirring up strife. In other words, your meditation on this wrong is, is, is making it grow and, and so on. But love covers all sins. Whoa, somebody's getting down with the Indian fireworks already. Uh, love covers all sins. Now, again, I talked yesterday about people who tend to blow up and people who tend to clam up. To say love covers all sins is not to say the most godly thing is just to kind of bring it inside and not talk about it. You may need to work it through. But there may be times when you can just cover it, just let it go. The toothpaste tube. The toilet seat. You know, some engineer now has created automatic and all of that stuff, you know. For 1200 bucks, you'll never have an argument again, you know? <laughs> that, guy's, that guy's crazy like a fox. Um, can I let this go? Can I, is there something I can, just, I can just keep my mouth shut about and honestly give it to God? Out of love for God, love for this other person, that's 
what it means to cover it. If you cannot cover it, see now cover it doesn't mean, well, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, but then I'm going to harbor it and meditate on it and chew on it in my heart and be bitter. No, if there's something that is stuck in you so hard, then you need to confront it. Letter G, Matthew 18, we talked about this already. Um, but I bring it up again in terms of anger. If there's an anger-inducing situation, you need to confront it. Uh, one of the sisters last night, or a couple nights ago, uh, or maybe in one of our mornings, talked about having been abused and needing to go in and confront this person, and they did. And, and I've worked through that with people before. And, and that's one of those situations where you say, well, it happened so many years ago. Are you still angry? Then you need to confront it's godly to confront a sin, but it's not godly to harbor bitterness and to hang on and to, to chew on it and let it chew on you. A letter H is compassion towards sinners. Again, in Matthew 5.43, um, Jesus said, you know, love your enemies, love your enemies, and the justification for God's instruction is in the last couple of verses, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And the last verse says, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow, what kind of a standard is that? In other words, God, what would it be like if God made it only rain on people who were actively living righteously, what would the farms in eastern Washington be like? <laughs> uh, farmers that plant that uh, fall uh, wheat, you know, and depend on the rain over the year. I wonder if you'd see spots of wheat. God, God withholds much of his, uh, much of his judgment, much of his uh, payback, and he is compassionate towards sinners. And, and, and that's what we need to do. Um, Harry Ironside wrote this in his commentary. Just get quietly into the presence of God, and then you will be able to look at things from a right standpoint. And as you think of your own failures, of the many, many times that God in his grace has forgiven you, it will make you very lenient as you think of the failures of others. And instead of getting up on the judgment seat and judging another believer, it will lead you to self-judgment. And that will bring blessing, whereas the other is only harmful to your own spiritual life. Just get into the presence of God and think about how God deals with you, and then you deal with other people in the same way. Um, i get my eraser here. Now, the big picture that we're dealing with, again, how to have, how to have peaceful relationships. And, uh, and I know that I have been rocketing through this to just give you the high points. Uh, and you can certainly study it beyond there. We're talking about maintaining peaceful relationships. And in doing that, we first of all said it's possible it's possible. We need to grasp that possibility. And then we need to build the environment, the environment of, of being a disciple. 
And then we need to communicate in a godly way, and we need to manage anger in a godly way. We can believe in peaceful relationships, but if we don't create the environment, we don't communicate godly or manage our anger, they won't happen. It will just be a dream that's out there. We build the environment, and then we commit, we commit ourselves to godly communication, godly anger management. Then, now we're ready to actually go after those four Ds and, uh, and work through them on a consistent basis. And that's our last point here, the godly approach to the resolution of a disagreement. So something comes up, you, you, you know, there's a difference between people, there's a desire that's different, there's a decision that needs to be made, or there's a depravity that happens. How do I go about working through this thing? Um, I first of all say, am I godly in approaching it? Am I right with God? Is my, I take a little discipleship inventory. Is my goal to honor Christ through this conflict? What kind of an issue it is? Is there a difference of opinion for which there's no absolute answer? I, I, t- I consider all of, the, all, of the godly, uh, all of the godly concepts I can possibly think of that come into it. Oftentimes, the... the the, the, the choices we have to make in the Christian life are like a diamond. There are many facets to them. Um, we like one-verse answers, but they, they, they often don't exist. And so we say, Here's a, this is what I've been drawing here. Um, this is communication. This is anger management. And now there's other principles that come to bear on any point any decision any action i need to make and that's why as we talked about learning god's word the scripture says learn it line upon line precept upon precept little by little here a little there a little day by day i'm adding up i'm adding up and the thing you have to remember about learning god's word is you're not on your own the holy spirit is involved And so as you have learned principle after principle after principle, you come to a situation, God is able to bring things to your mind to say, here are some things to think about. And certainly we go to brothers and sisters and say, what should I be thinking about in this situation? And we bring all of that to bear. And and somewhere in the middle of all of that is the action point for us. So we ask ourselves some questions. Am I right with God? Is my goal to honor Christ? What kind of issue is this? We pray about it. We think about it. You know, I I heard a a pastor years ago say something that really, really helped me as I thought about the Christian life. He said, God gave you two halves of your brain, one to do something and the other one to pay attention while you're doing it. You know, I have an awareness of my notes, of the notebook and all of this stuff, and, and, and I'm speaking words and I'm aware of what's going on. That's a miraculous thing. And, and I'm no neuroscientist here, okay? But you can pray while you're in the middle of something. You don't have to stop. And I'm not against getting down on your knees. I'm against it now, personally. It's, it's something that I don't like. <laughs> You don't have to stop and get down on your knees and fold your hands and close your eyes. 
That's great if you can do that. You can lay down on the floor. You can raise your hand. Do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying you can pray at any moment. And boom, here comes the... Here comes the anger. Here comes the disappointment. Here comes the hurt, whatever it is. Boom. Oh, God, I need your help. I need your help. And, and so we, we're, because we're committed to a godly response. And, and so we, 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 we find out what we, we do an analysis. Here's the situation I'm in now. Is this an issue of right and wrong? And we say, well, no, it's not an issue of right and wrong. And so oh, that's going to change how I handle this. But it is an issue of right and wrong. Okay, well, then I need to go after it on this basis. There needs to be an analysis and then a choice of how we're going to move forward. Um, the answers which result from thoughtful, prayerful analysis need to drive our approach. The answer may be in this situation to care less. You know, there's lots of times when you should care less. Not be careless, but care less. Um, The beds at camp are not like the beds in the Marriott Hotel. I'm going to stay in a Marriott Hotel tomorrow night. And I'm pretty sure the bed's going to be really nice. <laughs> and the shower is going to be bigger than this. <laughs> Jim Melu says that's how you get squeaky clean. <laughs> Should just install brushes on the sides of those tits. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? I could make my first million right there, buddy. But we choose to care less about that stuff because of all this other stuff. Okay? There are times in life when you need to care less. That's one of the responses you ought to have. Say, why do I have to get angry about this? Why do I have to get hurt? Why do I have to get frustrated? Why am I all wound up about this? I could just let go. Okay? Um, the answer may be, as you analyze your situations, to thoughtfully communicate concern about a sinful action. The answer may be to gather more inf- information on how to proceed. And, and, and so we, we bring things together. And uh, let me see how much time I'm going to take. I'm going to hit these last two points to make sure I get there by 10 o'clock. Um, the, the last, uh, the second to the last one there, allow for God's order. And I don't have anywhere near the time to work on this. If I put, I put a web address for my church's uh, web page. There's a sermon archive in there. You can go in there and find a series of sermons called uh, Extreme Makeover Family Edition. And there's two sermons, one for a husband, one for a wife, on the issue that I'm going to talk about right now. And I'd encourage you to listen to them and and, and not because they're the greatest that have ever been said, but I think they enunciate God's truth. And maybe it'll help you if you're struggling in this area. But God's order, God's order has, is one of, the, one of the factors that has to come to bear here. And part of that is the husband and wife relationship. There are lines of authority, lines of leadership that God has established. Um, the husband and wife, the parent and child. 
Just because you don't like obeying your parents doesn't mean that God doesn't hold you to that standard. Just because you don't like submitting to your husband or just because you don't like giving leadership. There are as many men who want to sit in the chair and not lead as there are women who want to take over. And neither one of those is godly. And, and in, for instance, some of the decisions that need to be made or the desires that we're going to live out, God's order, in other words, who's supposed to be leading in these situations, may be very important. Um, boss, employee, lines of authority. Our American society has shifted in the last 30, 40 years to where everybody thinks they have the right to run the organization or the business. And if you're a Christian employee, you have a responsibility to follow the lead. Now, if you care about the organization, you may want to give input. I understand all of that. But we need to honestly say, am I all worked up because I'm not in charge? That could be part of the problem. Um, and, and the one that I've come to believe in in recent years, and I know it's hard to live out, and it requires, a, it requires a, an application of many principles of God's truth, but it's from Hebrews 13, and, it, and there's two verses there, verse 7 and 17, that say, Submit to those who have the leadership over you as they who look out for your souls. And, and I'm talking about spiritual leadership, not deciding what color we're going to paint the walls in the church. When you're trying to make a spiritual decision in your life or, or, or some decision that's significant and you go to, to a spiritually mature brother or maybe you're a woman, you go to a spiritually mature sister and she says, here is some of God's truth and here is his, my, here's my advice based clearly on God's truth for your life and you walk away going, I don't care what they say. You're setting yourself up for a difficulty. I've seen it happen with 70-year-olds <coughs> as well as 17-year-olds. And I'm telling you, and I'm going to presume that the elders in your life care for your soul. That's what Hebrews 13 talks about. And so trust them. Trust them. Allow for God's order. And then ask for God's confirmation. Philippians 4. Um, I, I believe you should pray all through this process of maintaining peaceful relationships but let's say you're working on a particular decision. Um, you know, we're going to do this or do that or buy this or buy that or go here or go there. And you've been working through this and you've had some differences and, and you've come together, come together, and you come to a final conclusion. That is the time to, to sort of put the, put the icing on the cake and say, God, we've done all of our homework. We've maintained a peaceful relationship and we've arrived at this decision and now we're submitting it to you, Philippians a la Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And I believe that when we do that, God is, is fully able to convince us through the peace of the Holy Spirit that yes, indeed, we have made the right decision. I'm going to stop and give you a couple of minutes to ask questions or throw up a situation or whatever you like before I wrap this up. Hmm. And again, I know we blasted through it. We, there's a lot of time that can be taken with examples and, and trying to flesh it out in real understandable ways. Anybody? You're all anxious to get to the parade. I appreciate that.
When I was in high school, I was on the swim team. I know you find that hard to believe. And you're thinking, oh God, did he wear a Speedo? <laughs> the answer is no, they didn't have them in my size. <laughs> I wasn't nearly this big in uh, high school. I was this tall, but I wasn't quite this big. But uh, um, One day the coach came out of his office, and his coach, little waist, giant shoulders, muscular guy, you know, you know, it's one of those guys who went, oh, man, if I could just be like that, you know, he comes out and he goes, Lunsford, you and Leckvold are going to be our butterflyers. Now, you know what the butterfly stroke is? It's when you go like this, and your body goes like this, and when you see somebody like, uh, oh, what's his name? Michael Phelps. It's just, oh, it's just beautiful, beautiful. Not that beautiful when I did it. <laughs> I joined the swim team in ninth grade so I could learn to swim. <laughs> and I did. And I learned to swim good. I enjoy swimming. But up until that point in my life, I didn't enjoy hard work that much. And the butterfly is the hardest stroke. Um, you, you might argue that with the breaststroke. The breaststroke is a little easier but slower, but the butterfly takes the most effort. And the coach came out and said, you and Leckfold. Now, Leckfold was a little shrimpy guy. His mom made him turn out for swimming so he would stop studying. Yeah. If there had been computers in that day, he would have been Bill Gates. I mean, no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah, me and Leckfold, we're going to be the butterflyers. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what I thought, but it was something like, over my dead body. <laughs> and you know what? I proved it couldn't be done. <laughs> I proved it couldn't be done by not trying, by not giving effort, by dragging my feet, by refusing to think does the coach know something I don't know? I wonder if he could teach me to be a butterfly. I wonder if, if I let him lead me, what would come out? And so I made sure that that didn't happen. And I was number two from the bottom on the swim team for three years. God says... You can have peaceful relationships. You can either set out to prove him wrong, or you can jump on his team and say, okay, I'm going to work on it and see where it takes you. Heavenly Father, I know for a fact that this is a lifelong pursuit. It's a lifelong endeavor. We will not be perfect until we see Christ but it's possible to be more perfect every day. It's possible to have more peaceful relationships every day. And I pray that that would happen. I pray for these people here. I pray for those especially who, who are most doubtful this morning, who just don't believe it's really possible. I pray that you would put a spark of, of uh, belief in them, of a willingness to try, of a willingness to move forward. And I pray that you would change lives as people obey your word. 
I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.